Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Let me read verse 8 just to give us some momentum and then we'll maybe linger on it a little bit and then go into 9. Verse 8. Right? This, once again, this, we're, in the, we're still in the midst of this extended conversation between God and Moshe at the snat, the burning bush. God responds back to Moshe after um, the second of the two um, uh, signs or, or miracles. And it will be, Moshe, if they do not believe you, and they do not hearken, maybe that's the best way of translating it to the interesting, we spend time on this, the call, the voice, the, the, the impact of the first sign, they will indeed um, believe to the sound, to the voice, to the impact of the second sign. Right? And just to paraphrase Rashi, since apparently we finished, we finished it, um, what, what, what you're going to hear is trying to dip into the Israelite, the, the Torah's under, our assumption of the Torah's assumption of the Israelites' knowledge of their own history, right? which is an interesting set of layers, right? If we, if we could uh, reify this and imagine the actual personages of the Israelites who left Egypt. Um, and de- depending on how many years and how many generations they were there, because of course there are different midrashim that lay that out, including at the Haggadah for how long they were in Egypt. What did they know about, you know, the story of Dina? What did those Israelites know about Judah and Tamar? What did those Israelites know about Noah? What did those Israelites know about, you know, the three angels or the messengers that came to Avraham and Sarah, according to this Midrash that Rashi bringing, they knew all of it. And they knew the three encounters with Avraham and Yitzchak combined with Pharaohs of, of old and Avimelech, where they tried to take liberties with uh, Sarai at the time and, Rif- and Rivka, and they were plagued, right? They were, they were, they, they were, one of them is, is, is a direct uh, shot quote. One of them is, is a Midrashic, uh, connection. They were plagued with Tzara'at. And so since the Israelites know that when you mess with God's people, you get Tzara'at. And it's not a trick. It actually happens. Then Moshe, this second trick will have more of an impact on them. They should be convinced by the first one because it's a pretty big deal to turn a staff into a snake, right? But maybe the Egyptian, you know, Khartoumim could do that on their own. But once you bring out the second trick, they'll say, oh, this is the same God that we've been hearing about in our bedtime stories in Egypt as we've been put to bed by, by our parents, that this is a God who strikes the enemies of his people with Sarat. And Moshe actually went, went through that experience. If he's, if he's telling the truth for us, okay, I think I'll get on board. So that's the thrust of the Midrash that Rashi brings on why this second sign is not just like, if someone's not going to watch, you know, believe the first card trick, then they're not going to believe the second card trick unless the second card trick is more powerful or more, uh, or more convincing. So Rashi has to explain why this is a more convincing second card trick, as it were. Okay, so that's where we left off. Any final comments on, on verse 8? I see Rick's hand is up. Can't hear you, Rick. Sorry. Hi. Um, 
the tricks are supposed to be for Pharaoh's benefit too, but they don't exactly work when Moses is in front of him, huh? What do you mean? I'm not following. The, he's supposed to do those tricks in front of Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh would remember that it happened to Avimelech and, and he would, he would listen oh, to see, Moses. So it doesn't work when he gets to the, the actual gig, the, the, the actual performance. This might convince the Israelites, but but Pharaoh does not remember that his predecessor was 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 plagued in this, by the same thing. Interesting, right? That's right, because there in in the quick retelling of the stories, um, and even as we try to remember the story without looking at the text, some of these steps can can be forgotten because there's the interaction between God and Moshe, the burning bush, where the tricks are explained and done. And then there's a scene where Moshe is going to do it with the Israelites to try to convince them. And then there's going to be the scene where Moshe does it in front of the uh, Khartoumim of Egypt in their first encounter. And that's before any of the plagues actually happen. So there's several moments where Moshe is uh, transmuting nature in God's name before we even get to the first plague. Okay, good. So let's jump into verse 9. Um, uh Tova, would you like to read verse nine? You need to unmute. Oh, yes. I just unmuted you, so now oh, you're good. You. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Vihaya imlo ya aminu gam lishne haotot haele velo yishmaun likolecha vilakakta mimene. Hayor, Hayor, the Lord, Visha Facta, Hayabasha, Vihayu, Hamai, Masher, Tikak, Min, Hayor, Vihayu, Ladam, Bayabasha. Good. And as Toba translates, try to pay attention, everyone, just to the kind of the structure of the sentence. And if anything, like the, the words are going to be mostly easily understood. See if you have any questions or, or, or just things that are that are piquing your interest on the way the sentence is constructed, just as a way of giving you a, a lead into what's going to be bothering Rashi. Go ahead. Um, and if it should be that they, uh, that they will not believe you. Right. Um, even uh, with these two signs, Good. I think that's a good rendering of gam. Gam is usually understood when we use it as also, but here it's, it's an even, it's an emphatic. Like right. e even if the even if the the second one, that doozy of a second sign, does not convince them, then what? Then velo yishmaun lekolecha, and they have not listened to or believed or listened to your voice. Velakaktami menu hayor, then you should take. From the water of the river, meaning the Nile, Hayaor, the Shafakta Hayabasha, and pour it onto the earth, onto the ground, the Hayu Hamayim, Asher Tikak Hayaor, and it'll be, it will be that the water that you have taken from the river, Bayu Ladam, Bayabashet, and it will be, be blood on the dry land. Good. Very good, right? This is also, um, even those who know the story well just might forget that not only is Moshe's channeling God's ability to change the natural landscape um, part of the story 
before we get to the 10 plagues, there's even a presaging of the first plague, right? So, um, and there's a presaging of the first plague in the eyes of the Israelites, not in the eyes of the Egyptians. So this, the third strike as it were that um, Moshe might have to use when he's convincing the Israelites to follow him is actually a little preview of what's gonna actually befall the, uh, the Egyptians. And again, it's 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 there. You you could you could easily forget that detail as you're thinking about when 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 does blood first uh, you know appear in the Exodus story, first plague, and then obviously the, the tenth plague with the blood on the, on the doorpost. It actually appears in the burning bush. Um, since, go ahead. I have my, yeah, since I have my mic open, yeah. uh, I think it's interesting, especially after Rick's comment about uh, impressing Pharaoh, that of the things he has done so far, this is the one that is most directly an affront or an attack on the power of Pharaoh, because one of the key attributes of the Pharaoh is he's supposed to maintain ma'at, that is the proper order, the order that came out of the chaos. And part of that order is the Nile as the heart of Egypt. And so to be taking water from the Nile and transmuting it in this way is much more directly an affront to Pharaoh. Great. Right, and, 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 and this scene, right, it's mostly, first of all, it's not happening yet. God is instructing that this is what you should do if you get to strike, if you go if you strike, you know, the first two are strikes. It's, it's, not, it's not even in the presence of Pharaoh. It's, it's kind of an indication to the Israelites, perhaps, that this God is able to overpower the central node of Egyptian society. Yeah. Good. I saw Larry Dan's hand, then Andy, and then Joanna. I want to talk a little bit about coal. And uh, just as an aside, um, Rick and I talked about it this week's uh, Haftar Plethora because the word coal appears uh, prominently twice in Nachamu uh, Nachamu at the beginning of uh, two verses. Rick, I don't know if you remember which verses, three and five or something like that. One of them has a yativ on it. But there, clearly, it's the voice of God that Isaiah is talking about. But the reason I, I'm, uh, reason why I talk about it here is in verse nine, in verse eight, the call is the voice of the first sign, which we talked about. But in verse nine, the call is the voice of Moses, your voice. And I haven't had time to look up to see if any commentators had anything to say about that. Could just be the way in which the language is used, or we could takes some meaning out of it, that basically either God is saying, these will be your signs, you take ownership over all of this in some sense, or it could be he's transferring to, to Moshe some sort of uh, power in the voice of the, of the sign. Yeah, I'm struck by that also, Larry. I'm glad you raised it. My, my first takeaway is that we may have no idea what the true meaning of the, of the biblical word coal is. Right, because we're, we're so impacted by the modern rendering of it as voice, but so many of the times that it appears in iconic scenes in the Torah here and in, at Har Sinai, it's very hard to translate it as voice, right? At least the way we understand the English word voice to mean, right? Um, because you know, he, he, here the at least Moshe has a voice, but it's not really Moshe's voice that is at play here. It's Moshe's you know, Moshe's presence and impact and signs don't have voices. Like we get what it means, 
we, we, we get where we're supposed to derive from the sentence, but I'm not sure if we really understand how to break down how coal is operating or how coal is operating when it comes to revelation at Mount Sinai. Um, so I'm, I, I'm also struck by that, particularly the contrast in verses eight and verses nine. Josh, do you have your hand up? Oh yeah, just an interesting thing because we're getting to the part where God says, or where Moses is going to say, "I'm not a man of words." So I don't know how that factors into that conversation on coal, but I think it's an interesting context. Yeah, great. So uh, there, there are many paradoxes about Moshe's voicelessness because God is propping up Moshe's voice literally and figuratively here as Moshe is protesting that he is voiceless. And of course, right? If you particularly as we just began the book of Devarim. Right, the person who is uh, lo ish dvarim anochi became ish dvarim, like specifically, like he 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 is the author of the book of dvarim. The man who said, "I have no dvarim," wrote a book called dvarim. So um, both both davar and kol are play an interesting role in in Moshe's trajectory, and I think it's actually okay. I'm okay with saying that I I know what I'm basically supposed to get from the verse. And I know that I'm not sure exactly how coal operates. Uh, Andy? Well, uh, you and Josh may have stolen my thunder here because I, I, I seized on the word coal as well. And just find, and again, I'm assuming it has something to do with words coming out of his mouth, but it just feels completely extraneous in the sense like we've just been led all along to understand that this is all about these sort of visual miracle magic tricks that are done. And now all of a sudden it's like, no, your voice, whatever that means, matters too, but that's not anything that we've been led to believe so far. So the whole phrase just kind of jumps out. Yeah, and if you, um, if you look at the Unculus here, um, w- all we can tell from what I'm about to show you is that Unculus also was, was interested in the word coal. We don't know exactly his resolution, but he doesn't translate the word kol the same way in both verses. So if you look at Unculus's Aramaic translation of verse eight, go back to verse eight. Um, to, uh, um, so, yehem uh, and it is if they do not believe you, vila yikablun. He he renders yishmaun, which we you know, looks like it means listen, but it means to hearken, obey. He turns it into yikablun, that are not accept or receive, lekal. Kal is the Aramaic of kol. Kol, voice, kal in, Ar- in Aramaic is the same word. Viemnan lekal ata, they're going to listen to the next one. So he at least renders kol as kal in Aramaic. But if you look at the next verse, vihei imla yemnun af litrain, if they don't believe uh, even the second one, Latrain Ataya Ha'ilin, if they do not uh, listen to these two, Vela Yikablun, so he still translates Yishma'un as Yikablun, but if you look at it, there's no call coming up. Vela Yikablun Minach, they don't accept it from you. So he, he, he strips the verse from the call in, in verse nine. I don't know why, you know, is it because he's he, he's less interested in this verse and in a word for word translation and more in a rendering most significantly of what the verse is trying to convey and what the verse is trying to convey is that they're not accepting you? Maybe, or maybe saying, what does coal mean, right? And if coal, if coal meant, if I could apply coal 
to a sign in the previous verse, well, how can a sign and a person have the same coal? So we, we, we have no proof, but, but we have an indication that he was trying to figure out what to do with Kyle. He just takes it out. Uh, Joanna. A couple things. Um, I wonder, like, I'm thinking about call more so in terms of the verb that we associate with a voice, right? Like, so if there's a voice, then someone is speaking. And even in English, we can translate speaking not quite so literally, right? Like we often say, this speaks to me, meaning I relate to this. This has meaning for me. Um, and so I'm wondering if like call can have that more expansive meaning here of, you know, being something that the people relate to, that they find the meaning in it. Um, the other thing is that this verse does feel very different than the other verses that talk about um, the signs that Moses brings. And um, to steal a page from um, Rick's playbook, in the previous verses, um, the belief was, you know, in a fairly common trope of the Munach Zakev Katon phrase. And here it's in rather unusual trope. First of all, that Pazer is unusual and that you have two in a row. Um, and then the other thing about this verse is that to me is that it seems to be a very slow reveal. Like it takes a lot of words to get to what's going to happen. And I think the verse, for example, could have been written much shorter. Why do we need like all those other words, right? You threw it on the on the on the yabasha and it became blood. Yeah. And there there's like this really slow play, slow reveal of really drawing this oat out. I don't know, for all to see to make it play out. Why? Why do we need all those extra words? Good. So Baruch Shekivant, right? Uh, which you know is blessed be the one who anticipated. Ra Rashi is going to raise a, a micro version of that question, right? He he's fine with the general length of the of the sentence, and I'm not sure he's he's interpreting it the same way you are in terms of it being a slow reveal. But he does say there's some extraneous words in there. Uh, we'll 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 get there when we get there, unless uh, someone else wants to you know point out the same thing. But you're right. The the whole thing could have done could have been articulated much much more compactly. Uh, Barry? My translation uh, has an interesting word, proof, for voice. Huh, which translation are you working with, Barry? Remind me. Uh, let's see, it, it's, it's this one here. I mean, what's the name of it? Is it, is it Art Scroll or, or who's the publisher? Uh, it's Cornfield. Huh, I don't know, I don't know that one. Um, in particular, uh, does anyone have anyone else have some? Oh, the Matsuda, got a Matsuda. Yes, I know, I know the Matsuda. And, and so uh, he, he uses it in his translation in parentheses after the word voice proof. And, and so I'm, each, each of these, there are signs that God provides. And, and then God's saying then to Moshe, your, your voice. Um, but and, and yeah, and, and the trope is different on your voice than on God's signs uh, for Kol and Kol Kolecha. But in each of these, it's it's a, a type of proof uh, for the people to believe. Proof is very interesting. It's a very interesting way of rendering that because there's a relationship between proof and 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 being convinced. It's not a great translation of coal, 
unless we don't know what coal means, right? Unless we think we know what coal means, but we don't, right? We, we are influenced sometimes properly, sometimes improperly by, by the growing momentum of how a word is generally used. That does not mean that it's accurate vis-a-vis -vis how it once was intended, right? So maybe, maybe the modern word proof is the right rendering of coal in this setting. Everett Fox, uh, who dances in between uh, literal word for word and the lyrical flow of the verses, he keeps voice in in both places, unlike Uncleus. If I read Everett Fox in verses eight and nine, so it shall be, comma, if they do not trust you, comma, and do not hearken, he turns Yishmaun to hearken, to the voice of the former sign. So Everett Fox, like he's, it sounds weird in English, but it's like, that's what it means. The voice of the former sign, they, the, that they will put their trust in the voice of the latter sign. That's a weird way of saying that, that they will. Um, Verse nine, and it shall be, comma, if they do not put their trust in even these two signs. Yeah, so um, he, he turns heminu from belief into trust and do not hearken to your voice, then take some of the water of the Nile and pour it out on the dry land. And the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry land. Every Fox's translation makes Joanna's comment even more uh, uh, ringing, right? The, he he translates it with the full redundancy of the Hebrew, and you're saying to the to the to the Torah, you know, you, you could have shortened it. Uh, Norm, uh, Rachel, with respect to kol and voice, I think that another synonym for voice here is message. That we often talk about hearing a voice, and it's hearing, paying attention to the message. It's not. The nature of the sound it's it's the message but the other thing is about the verbosity of this sentence i think that where the torah so often seems to specialize in ambiguity in this sense they wanted to be very clear that moshe takes the water out it's it's still water it's in his hand or in a ladle or whatever it's in it's still water he pours it on the ground and that's when it becomes blood oh. Good. So that's another Baruch Shekivanta. Uh, you're you're going to have a, a surge of adrenaline when we read, read Rashi Norman because you're going to realize that you actually are a early Middle Ages Torah commentator and you didn't know it. Wonderful. Uh, French. <laughs> uh, Rick. Hi. Um, so thank you to Joanna for starting a, a trope talk. But um, I did want to say this is the first time that you have two pasers in a row in the book and the only other i'm going to check but the only other time that's coming up is the ten commandments uh it doesn't have to do with egypt it's about the um tamuna and uh, mima'al from above so but i just thought i'd bring that up for some reason uh whoever put the words to music wanted to stress these two words and if I could do hey, one, what did you say? Whoever put it to music? Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the Holy One, blessed be she. I don't know what I don't know where what you're going with that, Rick. Okay, and then um, just one more thing. The next time we have a pazer is on Vayishma'u in verse thirty-one. So um, and they believed. So Moses is worried all the time that they're not going to believe. Sorry to read ahead, but I had to look for the next pazer. Um, and it's on Vaishmau in verse 31. Great. The, 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 music, the musical through lines are, are really powerful, right? We, we, we will, 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 they're Rorschach tests, right? We'll never know 
you know, what they were, what they were intended for, if they were intended for anything, whether they were added in by the Holy One or by some Judean sitting on a hill. Uh, but they're, but they're wonderful. Um, you know, they're, in, in Midrash, there's a concept called the Gzerah Shava, where two psukim, entirely different contexts in the Torah, that share the same word, sometimes a small word like gam, are woven together to suggest that what is true about this verse is true about that verse in law. And law is determined that way, right? Um, law is not determined by the same comparison when it comes to trope, but meaning can be derived. Uh, with that kind of a comparison. And it's really, it's really rich, rich stuff. Thank you. Uh, Lair Diane and Barry, and then we'll look at the Rashi. I just wanted to give you the uh, translations. Alter is, is true to the, um, to the to literal uh, current understanding of, of cold being voice in both verses, somewhat surprisingly, but Arya Kaplan is not. And I just go also back. not surprising. Right. Also not surprising. I'll just go back to the verse eight for a second. There, there he says, and if they do not believe you and they do not pay attention to the first miraculous sign, then they will be, believe the evidence of the second sign. And then in verse nine, and if they do not believe these two signs and still do not take you seriously. <laughs> so uh, no, no comment. I think you all understand. Yeah, I mean, I, I really would like to, I'd love to meet Arya Kaplan, because I, I, I enjoy his translations, and I enjoy the weaving together of like, a, you know, a good English, like a biblical style English, and then American colloquialisms, right, if they don't take you seriously. But the evidence is similar to Barry's translation of proof, right, saying whatever, whatever we think the word coal means, to render it as voice, Everett Fox, it might seem to you accurate because that's what you think the verse should be translated as. That's not what it means here. It's not a voice. Sadly, as you probably know, he's gone. Uh, I, I think I, I, if I knew that, I'd forgotten that. A yeah. uh, long time ago, but some people may not know. It, in addition to being a scholar and an author of many, many books, interesting books, he was a physicist mm. grounded in physical science. Mm. And uh, like... Like, like, like um, Rabbi um, Jonathan Sachs, someone who emphasized the differences between science and faith, and both can coexist at the same time. Wow. Wow. I know very little about him, um, but now I'm going to go try to learn about him. I did not, uh, I, 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 I've come across his works here and there. I think the most exposure of how to Arya Kaplan is through your bringing his translation to this class. So now I'm going to go learn more about him. Thank you. For that. He died very young. I think he was 47. Wow. That's given how old I am. That's very chilling. Uh, Barry. So I'm concerned uh, soon God comes down on Moshe for Moshe's not believing the people uh, he, that he's going to lead. And yet here, uh, God is uh, a partner in Moshe in anticipating that the people will not believe. Say that one more time. What, it, it seems unfair that God soon is going to come down on Moshe for Moshe's not believing in the people. Uh, whereas here, uh, God is a partner with Moshe in that anticipating that the people will not believe. Hmm. Got it. And, 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 and that God does not come down on the people for not believing? Is that what you're saying? 
I'm not going that far. Right. Just that it, it seems, um, uh, why come down only on Moshe? Yeah. When here, uh, God is partnering with Moshe in the possibility of not believing. Yeah. That leads me to a somewhat tangential story on, on the expectations and the burdens on, on, on leaders, right? Like Moshe is going to be expected, uh, different, th different things are going to be expected of Moshe than of the people. I remember at some point early on in my career, in my former congregation, I, I don't remember if it was year two or year three, all of a sudden, the, the burdens of what it meant, not just to get up and give a sermon, but to, to lead, to, to make hard decisions, to make hard calls, to lead the community, to, 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 to kind of hold everything together was really weighing on me. My, my, my garage this last Shabbat was on leadership. And yes. thank you for your comments, by the way, uh, to me, that uh, made it more poignant in what happens to Moshe. Dechavot. Uh, I went and had dinner with one of my mentors from rabbinical school, Rabbi Bill Lebo, who to this day still has to be one of my, one, one of my, my most beloved teachers. Uh, this may be a story that Josh has heard uh, in some of our conversations that I remember. And basically, I took him out to dinner and I fetched, I fetched, you know, all the all the things that were expected of me and the high standards and the incessant pressures and um, you know, even in a small congregation upstate New York, it was it, it was a lot for me. And Rabbi Lebo, who served two uh, communities in an exemplary fashion before he became the dean of the rabbinical school, he said to me in very Lebowian fashion, and this is a very East Coast kind of a comment, he said, uh, Adam, you, know, you, you could have been a toll collector on the Tappan Zee Bridge, right? I said, yes. He said, if you'd have been a toll collector on the Tappan Zee Bridge, you wouldn't have these pressures, right? I said, right. He says, you chose to be a leader, right? I said, right. He goes, okay. <laughs> That's where he stopped. Right. You know, it was a really wonderful lesson. Right. You if, if you if you choose something that's going to uh, draw a lot upon you, then when it draws a lot upon you, of course. Right. And and and, and there are ways to um, to live life in different ways. And there's no harm, no foul. Right. They say you, you chose leadership. OK, this is leadership. Right. So Moshe does not want the leadership. Right. But it, but God sees in Moshe leadership capability. And since God sees in Moshe leadership capability, he's going to hold him to a very high standard, including, um, you know, the, the, this, this notion of, of uh, his own belief in his own people. Right? And, it's, and it's hard to be a, a leader and, um, and also very ennobling. Okay, uh, wonderful. Let's go back to Tov. Oh, we almost, we almost got to the Rashi. Renee, almost there. I just, since you were doing a couple translations before, I wanted to tell you that in oh, the, yes. the Saperstein has the voice, the voice, and then it becomes your voice. Anyone have JPS, the It's Chaim in front of them? I don't have it in front of me. I can go get it quickly. I like to see how JPS does it. If not, I'll go get it. Hold on. Okay. JPS is also Safaria. Safaria uses JPS for that. Major. Right. I remembered that, uh, but it was quicker for me to get to my shelf. So... Uh, here's how JPS translates it. And if they do not believe you, he'aminu, or pay heed, that's the Ishmu, to the first sign, just elides the word kol. They will, they basically, he turns he'aminu um, kol into believe you or pay heed. It's really an interesting uh, elision. They will believe the second. And if they are not convinced, this is almost Arya Kaplanish, if they're not convinced by both these signs and still do not heed you, again, no coal, 
take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and it, interesting, the translation here is gonna get to some of Joanna's concerns. Then there's a hyphen, it hyphen, the water that you take from the Nile and hyphen will turn to blood on the dry ground. Dry ground. So it's JPS is sensitive to the redundancy and almost makes it somewhat less redundant by adding it in as a parenthetical clause, right? Then it just makes it clunky as opposed to redundant, but no coal. So, so JPS just avoids the question by basically turning it into a phrase, right? An, an, an idiomatic phrase is not translated phrase by word by word. So if it's an idiomatic phrase, then we don't have to deal with what the word coal means. Okay, uh, Tova, let's read Rashi um, on verse nine. Oh, and de uh, depending on which version of Rashi you have, the, the Rashi in the Torah Chaim that most of us have uh, does not have a portion of a Rashi comment that appears in many others, and it's attributed to Rashi Hayashan. We don't know exactly what that is. It's probably not original, but um, if you don't have that volume, Tova, I'll read that that um, that comment. Do you have what's the first word of the Rashi commentary that you have? You're uh, muted. Okay, that's probably where Rashi began his comment on the verse. Uh, but since I've got several Rashi commentaries in front of me, I'm, uh, one of them includes this uh, precursor comment that I'm going to read for some of you may have it. I'll read it slow. You know, I wonder if it, if it um, here's on Safari uh, that I could actually go through it with you. Well, I didn't check that. I don't know which version Safari has. One second. We're in verse, we're Shmot 4.9, right? It has the Vilakachat. Okay. So let me pull that up and then we can go through it together. And we've spent, we've spent some time before, so we're not going to spend time now on the provenance of these other comments of Rashi. Um, but just suffice it to say that sometimes uh, there are phrases attributed to Rashi that we do not know um, if he wrote, and not all versions of Rashi included. Okay, I finally pulled it up. Okay. So, okay. So, velakachta mi meimei and you shall you shall take from the waters of the Nile. Mi meimei is an interesting word, right? Just because, you yeah. know, just uh, throw a bunch of mems and yuds together, and you get a word out of it. From the waters of Ramaz lehem shebemakari shona nifra me elahutam. He hinted at them here. It's translated as alluded that in the first plague that's to come in the future, um, he, he, he will extract payment, nifraz, to like to punish or to extract payment from their gods, commentary. And what's interesting about, by the way, this, uh, this Rashi, which does not appear the Torah Chaim, in, in the other versions, in the, in the versions of Rashi where it appears, it's only this phrase that's now in parentheses, it's attributed to Barashi Yashan, to suggest that some editors believe that the first line of this Rashi actually is Rashi, but in our version in the Torah Chaim, which is a very highly, highly scholarly work um, that uses um, several different manuscripts, none of it appears. So that's just an interesting thing in terms of the history of how the text came together. Perush, meaning, when the Holy One, blessed be God, nifra min ha'umot, when he extracts from punishment from the nations, nifra me'elahutam tchila, first God 
takes from their gods, like you know, uh, uh, strikes or extra, uh, extra ex exact payment upon their gods. Shahayu ovdim lenilus hamechayotam. For as Tova was telling us before, the Egyptians actually worshipped the Nile. And it was the, the main thing that their leaders were meant to, to control, which gives them life, and therefore um, turned it into blood, the Rashi Yashan in ancient Rashi. So what this comment is adding, perhaps, is linking this scene even more closely to the, um, the 10 plagues, and also creating this claw, as it were, that when God is going to strike a foreign nation, the first thing that God strikes is the supposed gods of that foreign nation, right? And if you ever wonder uh, why the, you know, in the, in the, in the order of the plagues, why doesn't locusts come first? Why doesn't darkness come first, right? Um, it's both the case that water is the source of life. And so if you play with the you know, as, we're, as we in the Southwest know all too well, if you mess with a population's water source, you're in trouble. But it's not just the fact that it's the population's water source, it is their God, according to them. And so God first strikes the God, indicating to the people that they're going to be next. Whether Rashi said any of this, we don't know, but I wanted to uh, read it to you because it's in some of the commentaries. Okay, uh, Joel. Okay, my first question is who's the they? Because I thought we we're talking about the elders, and now all of a sudden he seems to be switching to the Mitzrim. Uh, which they are you responding to? If they don't believe you, if they don't hear, heed your voice. Yeah. Aren't we talking about? Aren't the if the elders don't? Yeah. Okay. But well, keep so, going. I mean, each of these signs appears to have a dual meaning. One, it's speaking to the Israelites, and it's also speaking to the, the Mitzrim. So on the, on the Egyptian side, Rashi's saying, okay, it, it's, it's speaking because if that's their God, so it has special significance to them. But I don't know if that same significance has to the Israelites. Right, I think that's why this Rashi or this attributed to Rashi use the word Ramaz. It, it, the Egyptians aren't in this proposed scene, but but God, Rashi is saying that God is saying that Moshe, when he comes to the third sign, is both trying to convince the Israelites and also wink, winking at them, by the way, when this actually happens in real time, this is the first thing I'm going to do to, 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 to their gods. Not that the Egyptians will be aware of it in the moment, but that, that it's, it's a hint towards what the Israelites are going to experience in the, in the 10 plague moment. But I think you're right that the only people in this in the scene, it's again, it's just a proposed scene, it's an anticipated scene, are Moshe and the and the leaders of the Israelites. Can I propose a different meaning? Absolutely. If you if you think of the Exodus as being like a rebirth, right? Going mm -hmm. through the the Red Sea as, you know, the birth canal. This, I mean, this is saying the blood has a different significance besides death, it's also you know, the, the menstrual fluids, this is like, you know, this is showing that you're still fertile. I mean, you're still a fertile people. You still have the ability to, to be born. Um, there's a whole lot to, to go on there, Joel. There's a lot written about the very graphic um, life and death and birth canal imagery 
of of the Israelites' extraction from Egypt, right? Um, and yes, uh, very much so. The way the, uh, the way the Nile, uh, the, the way the Sea of Reeds splits and the Israelites emerging on the other side, right? The whole the whole ritual of mikvah is based on the notion of bursting through water, as we all did when we were born, to take a breath as a new person. Um, you're adding in that even the blood may be evocative of that, particularly as Vayikra is going to um, focus on blood as both the both blood as the result of the death of an ovum, which therefore is one one, one more opportunity for life not to come into being, as the um, as the, the the paragon of anti-life, right, and therefore. Um, you're reading it as, as fertility, right? Vayikra, according to most um, commentators, is going to read it as the presence of the blood suggests a monthly death, right? Which is why the tradition is so reactive to it. So there's a lot there. Um, and, and, and we could probably come back to it many different times. So I appreciate your picking up on that. Um, Barry, and then we'll finish, and then we'll actually read the Rashi that's in front of Tova. But before, after Barry, before Tova, I just want to make a, a calendar announcement. Go ahead, Barry. Yeah, I just want to underline what uh, what Joel prefaced with it. it it's in uh, uh, thirteen sixteen. Uh, Israel. Yes. From then, yes. Everything from the moment on. That's the subject. That's the object right. of what's going on here. The secret. Okay. Before we go back to Tova, just in case anyone has to leave early, I'll send the email out uh, again. Um, like sort of some sad calendar news. This is going to be my last class teaching in quite some time. I leave uh, on vacation on Monday. I'll be in the East Coast for a few weeks. And by the time I come back, gulp, we're in Elul. And I always take, um, I always reduce my teaching load in Elul as I get ready for the high holiday. So that's that's normal. What's less normal in terms of this class is my timing my vacation just before Elul. It just doesn't happen that way, but it is the summer. So um, as much as this class fills me with nourishment every single week, this is a this is a, a pullback first vacation and then pre high holidays. So we normally return after that. Um, the first time we usually study after that is the Wednesday of Sukkot. I just want to see what day of the week Yantif are on, and I know that Sukkot seems very far away. It's not that far away. So this year, Tuesday um, and Wednesday. Yeah. So Yantif is on Wednesday. So I'm theoretically open to moving our class just because it's been so long to the Thursday of the first day of Cholamoid Sukkot. So I'll put this all on email. You don't have to respond right now. It's not an official way of doing it. But if a, if a, if a minion of you, if a cohort of you can on the 23rd of September and the 30th of September um, move from a, um, a Wednesday to a Thursday, um, then we can start earlier than we otherwise would have. Uh, Le Leonard is not on the class today. Uh, in the email, I'll invite him to say whether he's present to teach in any of those slots. Um, and I'll miss this weekly rhythm, uh, but I'm looking forward to spending time with my family on the East Coast and then looking forward to helping prepare the community for Yamim Noraim. Uh, and I, I apologize. I really do apologize in advance for how long this gap's going to be. But the good thing about a class that goes on for years and years and years that when we resume, we resume, and then it keeps going with great intensity. Renee, can't hear you. No. That time slot is when Rabbi Schatz does Midrash. Oops, sorry, I muted you. 
by accident. Go ahead. I said that that time slot is when Rabbi Schatz does Midrashah. Thursdays at, at 8.30? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you do it on Friday mornings? Uh, I'll, I'll look at my calendar, I'll, and you'll see updated information on the, on the email. Okay? All right, Tova, now let's go to the Rashi that everyone has, which is going to finally get back to what a version of what Joanna anticipated, which is the redundancy in the second half of this verse. Rashi's focus is on a very specific redundancy. And what he derives from it is rather expansive and interesting. Tova, uh, unmute. Okay. Vehayu, uh, vehayu, bet pe'amim. So hayu is used twice. Right. Uh, let's, just, let's just look at that, right? So right. Um, the, in the redundancy that Joanna pointed out, there's a very specific redundancy that the, the word Vahayu appears twice and doesn't mean to me, right? And if we just work in the Hebrew, take the water from the Nile, throw it onto the ground, and then in the second half of the phrase, you have two Vahayus. And it will be that the water that you took from the, from the uh, uh, Nile, they will be blood on the ground. So if there's anything that's uniquely redundant in this verse, it's the double vehayus. It could have been, and it will be vehayu hamayim asher tikach or the water that you take from the from the Nile, ledam bayabashet, will become blood on the ground, right? So yes, it could have been shorter than that, but it certainly could have been that short. So Rashi's saying, what are these two vehayus? Okay, so nirab uh, nei, uh, it appears to me that it could have been said, uh, and the and it will and the and it will be that the my the water that you take from the river will be blood on the ground. Right, and to better set up kind of the thrust of the sentence, yeah. we might want to translate either as "had it been said." It appears to me. Oh, had it been said. Had, had it, oh, right, had it been said. Right, kind yeah. of a clue, perfect. Yeah. Shomea uh, ni, uh, then I would understand shebeyado heim nekpachim ladam that it was uh, from um, that it had. It's, it's okay. Uh, that in his that the. the it would have been blood in his hand and 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 there and therefore blood on the ground as it had was in his hand right and that and that i i, I rashi might understand from that that as soon as he took the water from the yaor right. and put it in his hand that's where the magic trick happened that's where the bunny came out of the hat that's when it turned to blood and then the throwing it on the ground is just throwing the bloody water on the ground why is that significant we'll see in a second Uma. Yeah. Okay, and so then uh, let's see. The af kesha. My text is hard to read. The af kesha yardu la rhu baahaviyatan aval avshan Translate before the aval. Okay. The af. Let's see. But as the text stands, the Afkishayar do, as it stands, la aretz you, okay, I'm not understanding this part okay. well. This is, this is actually very hard yeah. uh, Rashi language. Um, af, so 
it, he's com- completing the thought that had it only been one Hayu, I would have thought that the blood would have been turned, the water been turned to blood in his hand. And then when the waters would descend, Yarad, to the ground, ah, yeah. Yihiyu, they would be, it's, this is a very, it's, it, if you kind of know rabbinic and Talmudic language, this this phrase makes sense. If you don't, it's hard to make sense of. Right. They would be as they are, which is kind of rabbinic Hebrew way of saying they would they would stay. So I would understand it to be, and we had just said this out loud before, that they turned to blood in your hand, and yeah, and when they got to the ground, they stayed as bloody. They would be as they are. Aval achshav. Aval achshav. However, now we learn that uh, the uh, that it was blood and it that it did not become blood until it touched the earth, until it was on the earth. Right. So there's several steps here. First step, Rashi is saying two vahayus. Second step is saying without the first hayu, and we could argue this this uh, note it would seem to be as if the water had turned to blood as soon as it got into his hands. And now he's arguing that with the second Hayu, it's to suggest that the miracle doesn't happen until the second Hayu. And it will be that, remember that water, which was still water that you took from the, from the, from the Yor? The Hayu. They will be blood when it gets to the ground. Okay. So let's say all of his steps are correct. Right? The meta question is, so what? Right? We also have to answer to uh, uh, what, what might be going on in Rashi's mind. How is, wh- why is that significant? Why is it significant in this sign that the blood does not become blood? The water doesn't become, that does not become blood until it gets to the ground. So that's even assuming we buy Rashi's uh, uh, surgery on the verse. So I want to I hear comments both on the surgery itself on the verse, and I also want to hear comments on the so what? We'll re- I'll read you a super commentary on that in a little bit. Um, the other thing I want to pay attention to, and we may not have a, ch- I have a chance to get to all of it today, um, is we're, this is a weird way that Rashi constructs a Rashi. Because Rashi says the words, it appears to me, I understand that. Every Rashi commentary is that. But he doesn't say that often. Like it's 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 an interesting window. It's just that Rashi is musing about this, and the recorder was on. Hmm, it seems to me. Let's see. How should I think about this? If it was written that way, I would have understood this. Well, clearly, some version of that process is happening for Rashi on every verse. But here, he's giving us a window into his thinking. But he doesn't give us a window into the thinking about why this comment is even significant. That's left for us. So you maybe get this every 100, 150 comments of Rashi, and I wanted to point it out. Okay, a lot of hands up. Let's start just because we haven't heard from uh, Elon today. I know you were the last hand up, but Elon, what do you got to say about this? Uh, I just want to talk about what you just said, which is when, when people say, it seems to me, as opposed to saying, uh the you know the grass is green if i said well it seems to me the grass is green that's a little bit of a hedge right so i i I read that as him being less sure of his interpretation here than he is in other places nice nice it's 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 a it's a it's a more subtle way of giving it than just um, announcing something dispositively good uh joanna so and anticipating a little bit that, um, you know, we have the Khartoumim coming up who can do tricks also. If 
And, you know, is it a trick or is it God's action? If it happens in Moses's hand, maybe he had red food coloring up his sleeve and did a sleight of hand and it wasn't really, you know, a sign from God. If the transformation happens on the ground where, you know, the people see clear first and then red, it reflects more clearly that this is a sign from God and not some fancy trick comparable to what the Khartoumim might be able to do. Good. It's your second Baruch Shekivant of the class. For those of us who have the Torah Chaim commentary, do you have that one, Joanna? Are you working off of this one, Dom? Um, let me read it. Look at footnote nine. So on, on from, from this book, footnote nine on the commentary, Ula Hagdil Amarkain. Uh, why does Rashi make this comment? To increase, to increase the impact of this miracle. If it had turned to blood while it was still in his hand, there would have been place for the, uh, the Egyptian magicians, because this scene is, even though it's not directly linked to, it's like anticipating the version of the scene that's going to happen with them. They would have had place, Lomar, to say, he's got red paint in his hand. Therefore, God commanded that he should throw it in front of their eyes, etamayim, the water, al ha'aretz, onto the ground, be'odamayim, while it's still water, ve'acharkach she'yagiu la'aretz, but once it hits the ground, where there could be no red dye hanging out there, yithafchu l'adam, it will become uh, uh, blood. That, that's uh, the comment, sub, super commentary of the Levush, one of the super commentaries on Rashi. That's one way of explaining why Rashi is going through this whole process. Barry and then Larry, Diane? In my Matsuda version, there's a footnote that has an interesting twist on this. I'll just read it. The significance of this is uh, Moshe uh, owing a debt of gratitude to the river, which had saved him as an infant, hmm. could not be the one to cause the water to turn to blood. Hmm. So it has to be the ground that turned it to blood, not, the, not Moshe. Yeah. Um, they're, 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 therefore, the water turned into blood only after having left his hand. Great. That that idea is going to come back, Barry, uh, when we actually get to the first plague, um, because the Midrash is very sensitive to the fact that Moshe is the initiator of all the plagues. But Moshe is told for Aaron to actually initiate the plague of blood, because how could Moshe strike the Nile that saved him? It's a really it's, it's a beautiful Midrash that has lots of ramifications in terms of, you know, our, you know, how we treat those who sustain us. Larry, Diane. I was just going to go along the lines of what you said. My super commentary goes on and says, and God learned from this that even still the Egyptians would think it was a trick and therefore had Aaron be the one to pass his staff over the waters to cause it. Got it. Got it. Good. Uh, Barbara. Yeah. In my translation, it almost sounds like there's angels or something coming down to earth to do this because it says, I would understand that in his hand, they turned to blood. And also when they descended to the earth, they will be as they were. Who descended to earth? We're, water, I, because water in Hebrew is plural. That's why. What Water is a, is a plural noun, Hebrew, mayim. So literally this sentence is written in plural, yihiyu, Yihiyu, they will be Bahaviatan as they are, but the they is the word Mayim, which is plural. 
but it's not it's not yeah it's it's just it's just um the way the hebrew language considers basically the hebrew language considers water to be waters essentially okay thanks uh, you're welcome stevie perhaps last comment of the day we don't hear you yet stevie i, I see you're unmuted but we don't hear you all right can you hear me now yep okay it seems to me that when he says um nirali that he he's he's sort of admitting that he's not quoting from any midrash that he's just sort of you know scraping his own head and it also seems to me that this comment is sort of awkwardly incomplete or sort of not in the style of of a Talmudic comment in that he only explains one of the like half of the nafkamina that if there was both like if if there was one value at the beginning we know what that would mean but he doesn't address the question of what if the text said the hamaim which like you know and, and in the time it's time where they say there's you know why do we need both of these things and then they examine both possibilities and stevie define nafkamina for everyone uh the implication of this you know hypothetical other text literally means that which comes out from it nafka mina coming out from it but it's, yeah the the implications of a, of a midrash um did everyone see what stevie did there he made a commentary on rashi's use of the word it seems to me by saying it seems to me that was beautiful because you said it seems to me that when rashi says it seems to me it means that he, that he was uh not relying on any particular midrash so it seems to me that you were hedging your bets you don't even really believe what you were saying because you said it seems to me um yes uh, that's an interesting one and there are super commentaries on Rashi, but what you what you don't have, um, if I, yeah, what you don't have is a Mare Makom, a um, uh, like a hyperlink to a midrashic source from which Rashi gets this comment. So maybe this is indeed. I I don't think that happens every time. I don't think that every time Rashi is not drawing from a midrash, he adds in a Nirebe Enai, but this might be right. a situation where. He's not drawing on a Midrashic source, and he does add Nirebe. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.